and welcome to this month's Horton Hangout. I'm Laura Horton and I'm here with my wonderful colleague, Michael Bentley. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Very good. So we have some questions, thankfully, so that we can do this, this hangout. Um, we've got a mix of quite a different variation of questions today. We've got uh, a question about the going rate for associates, put them on a sliding scale. We've got a question um, about handling NHS inquiries by email, um, booking uh, more effectively to minimise white space, asking for deposits and um, tips for communicating with patients with little or no English. So let's get straight into the first question, um, which is what is the going rate nowadays for an associate? Do you also recommend a sliding scale? So very simple, nice question uh, and something that we deal with quite a lot. And I'd just like to take the opportunity, first of all, before we start talking about associates percentage, that we are not about to start associate bashing. That's not what we do. We love associates. They have the most yeah. amazing place in practice and we meet the so many fantastic associates that really support the owners with their vision and where they want to go and you know it's really sad when they sort of get a bit down in the dumps because they you know read or hear a lot about the death of the associate and how you know there's no point having them and all this type of thing we're yeah. not about that whatsoever are we Mike not at all no we're not at all and the reason for that is that if we start to look at the financial aspect of it, yes, everybody knows now that dentistry has changed dramatically from the financial model that, like, you know, Laura and I came into. I mean, we've been in dentistry now for 20 years. And when I first came in, it was, you know, the associates get 50%. And, you know, that was the way that it was. And it was half the lab bills and et cetera, et cetera. We all know the history, if you like, of, of why we're sort of where we are. But I just want to say that first and foremost, 50% of what? <laughs> and that's a most important question you've got to ask yourselves, you know, when you're in practice, is that if the associates sometimes get hung up on, it's got to be 50%. Well, all I say to them, but if you had 45% or 42% of a higher priced item, then actually you could be better off being on 42 or 45% than 50% on fees that are lower. So it is 50% of what? And then the next thing that practices need to do is they do need to add up all the expenses that the practice pay and do an hourly rate sum to come up with the right hourly rate figure for the practice that covers the expenses and the team and the environment and all of the other things that we've discussed in other podcasts before when working out an hourly rate. And then it's a matter of communicating to the associates then that, you know, our fillings are now going to be £120 for half an hour rather than maybe being 70 or 80 pounds and you're going to get 45 percent of that figure for an example and 45 percent of the 120 as opposed to 50 percent of 75 well you can do your own maths can't you you're actually <laughs> better off but your percentage is actually lower so I think what associates need to stop doing is reacting to the percentage Mm. You need to be looking at the percentage of what, because we know, don't we now, Laura, that we've got some uh, uh, practices that are paying associates about 42%, yeah. but it's 42% of amazing fees. So that actually 
the associates are walking out with more money and spending more time with the patient and are much happier than they were three to five years ago. But that is a really big conversation. And it isn't about, right then, Laura, you're on 45%, or right then, Laura, I'm taking you down to 42%. Because the reaction is, is like, oh, I'm on 50%. You know, how dare you? Um, but the culture is, why is the reason that 50% that has gone? Because the fees need restructuring also. We need to, to start chatting through with the associates. What are the different things that you need to be investing in? And I say this, if you are a dental associate, have a look at where you are right now. Do you enjoy the practice? Do you enjoy your surroundings? Do you enjoy the patients that you work with? Do you like the team members that support you on a day-by-day -day basis? And if the answer to all of those questions is, yes, I do, then being an associate is much more than just about, you know, financial money. It's actually about where you work and how happy you are too. Because, you know, again, I've, we've met, haven't we, Laura, many associates that are on 50% and I'm doing an inverted bracket sign here um, but are absolutely miserable as sin like they hate their job they hate where they work they hate their surgery they don't like the team um, and actually you know life is more important and actually enjoying the job that you do is more important absolutely. so when you look at the surroundings that you're in and if you're enjoying those surroundings for me you need to look at am I prepared to make an investment in my surroundings because if I was an associate, I would want to be putting some money in the kitty to pay for things that I would want to have, like, you know, an environment lifted, you know, a new chair every, you know, five to seven years so that the patients always have an amazing experience. And also, associates have the opportunity to invest in some different elements. I just want to give you a couple to have a think about. Treatment coordinators are becoming a really big thing in the UK and their numbers increase year on year. But if you want to work alongside a treatment coordinator and an owner's got to invest maybe a salary of 20 to 25,000 to have a full-time treatment coordinator in the practice, if you want use of a treatment coordinator, why don't you pay for a couple of days? Yeah, it's not that much in reality over a period of a year. Yeah, a monthly payment. If you even paid £5,000 towards that investment, yeah, if there's a couple of dentists doing that, then it's more likely that the owner will go, okay, we'll have a treatment coordinator then, mm. because you are going, you are meeting them halfway, and that's really important. Mm. And it's the same with marketing campaigns as well. You need to meet that person halfway. You need to meet your owners halfway, because the reality is, is that the normal everyday aspects of running a business have increased dramatically over the the last few years and not just because of the CQC but because of employee changes, pension contributions, data protection, you know we've got GDR coming through now which is going to cost the practice more money. So all of these things that probably as an associate you don't think about but really worries an owner and you need to come together with that owner and um, you know be part of the practice, be part of the team. Don't just think oh I'm all right Jackie in my surgery and I'm on my own and I've got my 50% and that's all that matters. 50% of what and it's 50% of what practice are you in and those are two things I want to say. Yeah. And for the owners, you know, the example Mike just gave there, you can't just go to a dentist and say, uh, you're going to 40 percent, you're going to 45 percent. 
You cannot do that. That is a recipe for disaster. You really need to get your financial systems in order. You need to understand financially how your business is working so that you can sit down with your associates and say, these are the hourly rates we've been working on. These are our expenses. You know, it doesn't add up. So what I've got to do, you know, and these are the investments we want to make. So what we've got to do is change the hourly rates and increase them. But in line with the investments that we're making, we then need to reduce your percentage and then you can go down that conversation in a much nicer way and do look at the investments you're making not just with technology uh, and all the team like Michael said you know is is the place up to scratch you know is your associate working in a really nice place are there investments that are needed so that it is you know fantastic for everybody and you know if you've got fantastic associates do this properly if you're going to change their percentage, do it properly because you don't want to risk losing them because, you know, outstanding associates are quite simply outstanding. And yes, they're self-employed, but you shouldn't want to lose them because they really are great for your business. Um, when it comes to a sliding scale, I mean, my answer on this is, is very simple. Um, I do not no. recommend sliding scales. The main reason is, and this is where, you know, it's from the grassroots of dental practice here. You know, when you're working with dentists in practice in real life, you know that they are under pressure to even hit their hourly rate at times. And if you put a sliding scale in, what you're doing is you're actually putting even more pressure on your dentist. Now, don't get me wrong. I do know a few practices where we ha may have one associate on a sliding scale, and that's for very good reason, which I'll discuss in a minute. But as a whole, I'm against sliding scales. I think it puts too much pressure on the associate. We want them to enjoy their job, do a really good job. And the other thing for me, it really puts you in a position where you may end up questioning ethics and so therefore yet again you're putting yourself in another situation where you're going to have more awkward conversations with your associates and hopefully just by listening to what we're saying you'll understand as an associate and as an owner how that is a really negative relationship from the outside looking in and hopefully listening to this you'll see that a sliding scale um, percentage where you know some of them are down to 30% the sliding scales it's a really negative relationship that you're having with your associate and it doesn't work make for a great work life um, either you know with anybody involved the morale overall I'd imagine is very low so you want to stop that the associates that I know that are on a sliding scale are on a sliding scale because actually they're not associate dentists they are um, they have a dental qualification, but they're actually working as therapists. OK, so their treatment planning capability is quite low and um, their majority of the work that they do is fillings. So they're working as therapists. They're not treatment planning crowns. They have no lab bills, um, which is a huge concern anyway. And another perhaps something we'll deal with in the podcast another day about treatment planning. Um, but that's the reason that those associates are on a sliding scale. So again, if you're listening to this and you're an associate thinking, well, I'm on a sliding scale and I'm mostly taking 30%, what's in your treatment mix? If your treatment mix um, is, you know, full of fillings, that will be why. And actually, that's something that needs to be addressed. So more often than not, a sliding scale would be put in place to uh, deal with treatment planning concerns that, that the practice has. Sometimes it can be a wake up call. Um, but as a whole, 99.9% .9 of the time is an absolute no from me and Michael with a sliding scale. So I hope that answered yeah, that question. Yeah, I echo you there, Laura. 
um, and just say that for most practices where I do financial reviews, the, the fillings are always underpriced. Oh, yes, always. Crowns are okay. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And where we now know that filling materials have obviously drastically improved and dentists are using filling materials for a, a for, for deeper restorations now, there's no doubt about that, and for cosmetic bonding and a number of different uses, you know, the world of dentistry has changed. You really do need to look at the time investment that you're making with that and, you know, and the, the cost associated to the patient. I think what's happened as well in dentistry is that we've improved the uh, quality of the products and the way that they're being delivered, but the price hasn't altered very much because we believe the patients still perceive it as a filling, so we can't overcharge for the appointment. So you've got this filling at like, you know, maybe 50 to 70 pounds. In reality, it needs to be double that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So lots for you to look at if you're thinking, you know, of changing your associates percentage. Um, hopefully that helped. So the next few questions aren't quite as involved. They aren't quite as in depth. Um, and this one is, is interesting because we've not been asked this type of question before. Sometimes we do have questions through and I will say, oh, we've answered that. You know, if you refer back to this podcast, we'll be able to help you. Um, but this one's about handling NHS inquiries by email. Uh, contact forms through the website etc and this practice their NHS contract is full they're not taking on new patients but they get a lot of email inquiries on the telephone they're really good at handling those inquiries and converting the patients over but they're really struggling by email and I would say that's not a surprise anyway because handling any type of new patient inquiry by email is really tough so I would always make sure that in your contact form, whatever the patient is filling in, that they have to put in a phone number so that as soon as you get that inquiry through, don't think negatively. Don't think, oh, we can't take this person on as an NHS patient. Um, they, you know, we're up to capacity. Oh, what do we say? And, you know, you need to ring them so that then you can have the same conversation that you do with people that ring you first of all. And, you know, it was really interesting. I was listening to some mystery calls last week for a practice that I went into. Uh, their phone calls are recorded. So they weren't really mystery calls. They were genuine calls. And on one call, a team member said, we are private. And uh, no, we're not NHS. And the patient said, well, I don't want NHS. That, that's why I'm ringing you. So sometimes we have this feeling of, oh, the patient, um, we're not going to be able to help them because they're asking you for NHS. But actually, sometimes patients are doing that on the flip side. They don't want NHS. It's, you know, They're just going about asking their question in a funny way. But definitely get that form, uh, um, telephone number filled in on the form so that you can ring that patient. And if you don't get hold of them, what you need to do is just create, you know, a template that everybody can copy and paste the same answer into. And we love a template for emails, don't we, Michael? Oh, we love a template. <laughs> yeah. We love a template. So just, just create a template that explains that you're up to capacity. However, you can still help the patients um, and you have affordable dentistry on offer. If you have membership, discuss that and invite them to ring you or invite them to send your phone num their number across, arrange a time to call, whatever it might be. But definitely create a template uh, to help you with the people that you don't yeah. get to speak to. 
Absolutely. And if you do have treatment coordinators in your practice, then of course you can offer a complimentary consultation so that they can, you know, come in and look at the practice and, you know, meet that fantastic team member and they can chat through the options available at your practice. So that's another opportunity that you have got if, if that's the facility in your practice. Yeah, fantastic. Um, next question. We're a small practice. Do you have any tips on booking more effectively to minimise white space? We love talking about diaries, don't we, Michael? It's a diary zoning question, isn't it? It really is. It is. And go on. The main thing about <laughs> diary zoning, I didn't know whether you were going to speak, darling. <laughs> the main thing about diary zoning is that you've really got to look at what it is that you need and you need to start to break down your diary. We've got a fantastic um, article that Laura will tell you exactly where it is in just a moment's time. And it's really important that you group things together in price values so that you've got consistency. But again, I, I like to always give you a vision. And if you're taking on a new patient, it is a funnel effect. So new patients generate treatment plans. So if you if you see six or eight new patients in a week and you're a small practice, it's going to take you weeks and weeks and weeks to facilitate a treatment appointment with these new patients. So you've lost momentum immediately. And that's what practices tend to do. They tend to like have, you know, a week where they've got loads of new patients and then, you know, two or three weeks down the line, suddenly they've all got treatment and then they're back to square one again and they might have enough or they might have switched, you know, off the new patients. And also, through going through practice life, and I think Laura will agree with this, every three existing patients also generate a treatment plan. So that's, you know, one in every three patients generates a treatment plan. If you just go down the amount of, you know, examinations that you do in your day and go, oh yeah, that, that generates a treatment, that generates a treatment, it's normally about one in three. So again, if you haven't got the time slots available to do treatment, then you are just creating a backlog in your diaries and that's and practices just keep going to the same trench don't they they book yeah. the same appointments months to six months later yeah so first and foremost getting out of your trench which is actually deciding how much time that you need for all of the different disciplines like for new patients for treatment values under you know 200 pounds uh for treatment values over 200 pounds for an example and uh, for treatments that generate no money and uh, laura explain those in a little bit more detail for you but when you've got a diary in front of you if the front desk have got an open book they will book where they think is right and what I have found in my experience is, is that everybody's thought process about booking a diary is different to mine. Yeah. yeah? Uh, every now and again, I'll meet somebody that's like so in sync with me, but everybody's different. And the reason why they're different is because the parameters are not set. So therefore you get the difference of opinion of where things should go. And therefore the patients take over, they decide where they, they want to have their appointments booked. And this is what leaves you with these white spaces in the diary that are not fit for purpose yeah. and are annoying. So, and also, uh, the other thing that practice experience, if you're just booking appointments anywhere and a patient does reschedule an appointment, you can be left with a jigsaw piece that is difficult to fill. Whereas if you diary zoned, you should be able to uh, look at that diary zone and go, right, we need one of those. Like we need a filling and that will fill that opportunity. Um, we need an, another examination there. So that will fill the opportunity because actually the jigsaw pieces are, are the same size and they will fit the puzzle that you've created. 
the problem with the open diary is is that the puzzle pieces don't fit and then you get a day where actually it looks really busy but when you go through the day there's 50 minutes of an unbooked diary yeah it doesn't look that on first looking but actually on investigation that's what it is that's always a shot to the desk Mm, definitely the article that Michael's just mentioned is on the website if you go to the library section articles and then there's uh, articles for dentists uh, it's in that section there diary zoning you'll be able to have a really good read through about the different ways to to start uh, zoning your diary and I think one top tip really to give you as well to minimize white space is if you've got an open you know morning let's say you've got nine to one that's white in the diary don't ask the patient when they'd like to come in you need to give them two options so I would say so we've got if it's an hour's appointment we've got 9 a.m or 12 noon which would you like so that you're only booking the ends and then you work your way into the middle when you give patients control they'll just take the middle they'll say oh 11 15 and there you go um so do think about the verbal skills analyze what it is that you're saying to patients review your systems to see are you giving the patients too much control which is then causing problems for for everybody else as well um, but definitely have a look at that article and if you've got any more questions please send them over we'll answer them for you on a hangout we're a bit short on time so the last question for today's hangout is it fair to ask for a deposit when booking one hour plus out of a dentist diary and the simple answer to that is yes it's absolutely fair however the way that you deliver that communication has to be right because you can upset patients if you ask for a deposit in the wrong way and the word deposit I just wouldn't even use the word deposit we know it's a deposit but don't say that to a patient so let's say for example it's a 600 pound um, crown prep and you're booking 90 minutes out of the dentist diary I would say to that patient we're going to block 90 minutes out of the dentist diary and to do that we need to pre-collect 300 pounds off the treatment fee to reserve the time especially for you how would you like to pay today and that's as simple as it is so you know rewind write that down uh, you can use that with your team that's absolutely fine and that should really help you to start getting deposits off patients but do make the system very clear do have staff training don't just dump this on everyone and here's a script make sure there's training everyone gets to role play this come up with a list of objections you're going to get from patients and solutions and make sure that you role play them too um, because you know putting it into place is a lot harder than you think because the front desk team will have the pressure my other final tip is that if the dentist want the deposit to be taken to secure the appointment and it's a system that you all agree on then actually it'd be really helpful if the dentist told the patients that in the treatment room before the patients come out to the desk so again more team training more role playing more practicing everything but what we know is that if the dentist tell the patient to do something the patient always does it the dentists have the power uh, whether that's filling a gap in the hygienist diary whatever it might be dentist you have the power Denti uh, patients will do whatever you want um so yes deposits absolutely fair and there is you know no concern with asking for it just review your systems verbal skills and team training before you implement it i hope that helps everybody so michael we are out of time for today's horton hangout it goes fast we are it? 
Yeah, it does go fast when you're having a good old chin wag. Oh, it does, definitely. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, much, uh, everybody very much, rather, la, 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 <laughs> for tuning thank you very in. Thank much. La, la, la. Um, sorry for speaking so fast at the end there, but we are running out of time. Now, if you have more questions, please send them over to us. We're getting a lot through Facebook message. However, you can email them through the website as well if you'd prefer to. Uh, or send them to laura at horton-consulting.com. And thank you ever so much. Do subscribe so that you can always be informed of our latest podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.